Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Look at the person sit beside you. Say, you look good today. Tell them, say, you look good. You look back at them and say, I know, and I even had an hour less sleep, and I still look this good. Look back and tell them. Man, it's so good to see you guys. We want to welcome you to Better Life Church. If this is your first time or first time in a long time, welcome uh, here to our Moorhead campus. And also, we want to welcome our Grayson campus. Can you look for our Grayson campus? We love you guys. Speaking of grace, and last week, Pastor Aaron preached an incredible message in, in, on a community and, and don't isolate yourself. And Pastor Aaron, I'm so proud of you, man. You killed it, did an amazing job. I love you, man. And uh, such a great word. Yeah, come on, can we get for Pastor Aaron one more time? He did an awesome job sharing the importance of community. And, you know, now we're jumping this new series called Spring Cleaning. I thought it was a great time for spring cleaning, right? Things begin to grow, and, and we got to start mowing grass again, right? Things are going to change. Somebody's going to be 65 degrees there. You're going to get out in your garage, and you're going to start cleaning it, right? Come on now. Somebody's like, I told you, honey, get out there, right? Like, it's going to be a good time. So we thought if it's spring cleaning coming up, what if we did some spring cleaning in our life? What are some things in our own life that we need to start cleaning and changing and getting ready as we go into the Easter season? What are some things that we can look at our heart practically and begin to get right before the Lord or dive into some things in our own life? And we picked the book of James to go through. James is a very practical book. You're going to love this book. We're going to walk through it together for the next five weeks leading up to Palm Sunday and then into Easter. It's going to be amazing. You know, a lot of times sweet people ask me, Pastor, what would you have me to do? Like at church, like what do you want me to do? What, what, if you could have one thing, what would you ask me to do? Some of you said, would you ask me to serve? I absolutely want you to serve. If this is your home church, if this is where God's planted you, if this is where God speaks into your life, absolutely you should serve the house of God. You know, pastor, should I jump in a group? Yes, you heard last week, you can't do life alone. Don't isolate yourself. Get in a group. Pastor, should I give? Absolutely you should give. Giving is a heart issue. Check your heart. Absolutely. If this is the place that God wants you to be part of. But let me tell you what the number one thing. The number one thing, if you said, if you say, if I ask you to just do one thing, what would be the number one thing? Here's the number one thing I'd ask you as your pastor to do. Get in God's Word. Get in God's Word. Don't just come on Sunday morning for take someone up here on stage who, who eats God's Word uh, and studies it and then come and regurgitates it back to you for 30 minutes. You need to get in God's Word. And back in January, we kicked off a series called Seek. And we said, we're going to seek God together, right? We're going to say, God, what's your will for this church? What's, what do you, what's your vision for 2020? What do you have in plan? We're still seeking God together corporately and collectively praying, God, show us what you want to do and accomplish in this year. And one of the greatest things I really believe that God wants us to do, the next step for us as a church, is get together in God's Word together. And I'm so excited about this series that we're going to walk through it. In fact, if you're sitting there, you should have a book that looks like this in your seat. I want everybody real quick, grab this book. I'm going to walk you through this because let me show you what we're going to do over the next several weeks. We're going to go through the book of James verse by verse. We're going to be walking it through together. For some of you, it's like, man, I've never read my Bible. I don't even know where to start my Bible. I don't even know how to study the Bible. Wow, this series is for you. And it doesn't matter if you've been going on, you know, spring breaks coming up for multiple of our counties. Uh, spring breaks coming. Listen, this fits right in a bag, right? If you can't put this and take this with you, you packed way too much. You know what I'm saying? Like this will work. You can keep up with this on line. You want to do this with someone. You want to do this together. So if you open up and you notice here on page one, we, what we laid out for you is a way, not the way, but a way for you to study your Bible. And it's called SOAP. What do you mean by that? One, you find a scripture, S. You do an observation. You ask some questions. I'm going to walk you through that now, how to do that. And then application. Application is the key. Every time you read your Bible, you should stop and say, okay, okay, how do I apply that to my life? 
Because information will not transform you. You know this, right? It's information plus application equals transformation. I can give you a diet, but if you don't eat it, it ain't going to help you. I can put you on a workout plan, but if you don't apply it, it will not help you. You've got to apply it. How do I apply God's Word? And then we pray. This is the way you do this. Not the way, but it's a way for you to study your Bible. So if you said, man, I've never read before. I don't even know how to study my Bible. Boom. We got you right here. We're going to help you. If you flip over to page two, what you'll notice here is a reading guide. A reading guide. Now watch this. For the next five weeks, we're going to read collectively together as a church. Both locations, both campuses. If you're watching online, join us. Be part of this. Here's how you read. We're going to read. Listen, there's five. Somebody's like, well, there's seven days. How come there's not seven? Because we know you're going to miss a couple, right? We gave you grace. There's some grace there. We have five days for you to walk through, right? Now look at day one. James 1 through 4. If you don't have time to read four verses, you need counseling. I'm just going to be honest with you. We need to work through your schedule, right? Come on now. In fact, today I'm going to walk you through the first four verses. That's all we're going to have time to get through because there's dozens of sermons just in chapter one, but we don't have time for that. We're going to walk you through. I'm going to show you how if we sit down and we start studying our Bible together, what does the Bible say? How do you do that? That's today. It's going to be all introduction. We're going to walk you through. And then right here's your sermon notes. That's for today. James 1. You're going to take some notes. Take some notes, and this is why. When you start reading through James chapter 1, you go, oh, man, now I know the context. Now I understand what's going on. You can look back at your notes, and this will help you. Plus, it's proven. You will remember more if you write it down. So the statistics say by Wednesday, you've already forgot what I preached. I think it's less than that. I'd say by tomorrow, you've already forgot what somebody preached, right? If you write it down, it will connect with you. The next page is for you to soap. That's when you do your private, your, your quiet time with the Lord. You can walk at it. What's your scripture you're reading? What's your observation? How can you apply it? And then pray. Come on. Come on. I mean, that's simple, man. Really simple. And then here's the key. This is the big one. Do it with somebody. Don't do it alone. Maybe you can find a few people after work, stay in the classroom with you. Maybe you got a classmate, a roommate, a fraternity brother, sorority sister. Listen, come on, a family member. You're going to go through this with me. Don't do this alone. Maybe for you, you've always wanted you, your spouse, you always want to go through it with your wife. This is up, honey. For the next five weeks, we're going to read this. We're going to do this together. Awesome. What a great time. Maybe pull your family and say family devotions. Here we go. We're going to go through this together as a family. If you always want to do it, here's an opportunity. You got an excuse. Let's do this collectively. Why? Because the greatest thing that we could do as a church is getting God's word. And getting God's Word together, and this is so simple. Our team did an amazing job putting this together for you. You can carry this with you. Bring it every week as you take notes because the same thing happens in 2, 3, 4, and 5. Because there are five chapters in James. Super, super excited about that. So today we're going to jump in James chapter 1. So grab your Bibles, turn me to James chapter 1. Now a lot of people ask, what's the best translation to study the Bible? I love what Pastor Jacob says. The best translation is the one you read the most, <laughs> right? The one you read the most. That's the one you should do, right? And I know there's all this big debates about translation. Also, don't get caught up in all that stuff, okay? At the end of the day, there are word-for-word translations. There are word-for-word translations. And then there's some that's more a thought-for-thought translation. I use the New Living Translation a lot of times to preach from on Sunday because it's an easy read. I use it a lot of times in my own devotional reading because it's an easy read. But I know that it's not a word-for-word, exactly word-for-word translation. I know that. I'm okay with that. It's very devotional when you read. If you're looking for a word-for-word and usually word for word is a little bit harder to read in, in English a little bit because they're, they're trying to stay exactly with the word in the Greek or the Hebrew. Uh, a couple of them real quick. The New American Standard is my favorite. I love it. If you're looking for a word for word, New American Standard Bible, um, it's, it's a great one. You got the ESV. They're really good for a word for it. The CSV, it's a good for a word for it. So there's some out there. That's okay. But the actual this is just get in God's word. 
No matter where you start, just jump in God's Word and go there. There's all kinds of free Bible tools online, BibleGateway.com, BibleTools.com. You don't have to have a seminary degree to study your Bible. I went to seminary, but I never graduated. <laughs> right, that's another whole sermon, right? I just didn't finish it, all right? And so, so you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know all the Greek and Hebrew. In fact, listen, I can't even speak Greek and Hebrew, but there's so many tools you can click on to learn what a word means. No one cares if you can pronounce a Greek word. Or a Hebrew word. No one gives, cares about that. It's about what does it mean, and then watch this. How do you apply it to your life? So you don't have to be a scholar or a theologian to study your Bible to walk through it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the first four verses of James chapter 1. And I'm going to show you, if we were sitting down and we did a Bible study, like this is like a big Bible study class today, right? How do I study my Bible? What are some questions that I ask? And how can I learn to do this on my own, right? Because we don't want you just to come on Sunday and get a word and just get into God's word. We want you to get into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can do this. In fact, look at the person sitting beside you. You can do this. Look back at him and say, I need your help. (laughs) Help me. Help me figure this out and do this. So we're going to walk through this together and I'm going to show you how this works. So if you're ready to get started, say, let's go. All right, here we go. James chapter 1, verse 1. This letter... We could stop right there. I'll come back to that. This letter is from James. Here's a question. What James? Who's James? How do we know who James is? Who's a slave, a servant, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes. Who's the 12 tribes? Who are they? Who's your audience? You see this? These are questions. You know what the problem is for most people? You read your Bible so fast. Even if you read the Bible, I got to get five chapters in today. God could do more through five words than you can read in five chapters. Slow down. Slow down reading your Bible. Twelve tribes. To the Jewish believers, he lets us know this is a Jewish context. He's writing to the Jews. A Jewish believers scattered abroad, and then he says, greetings. And that's so sweet. Oh, greetings, right? Grace to you, peace to you. So when you start here in verse 1, here's some background. He says this letter. What is this letter? Like, when did he write this letter? Well, when you start just connecting the dots here, when you start looking through the Acts and you start reading through here, you realize that this letter had to be written before the Jerusalem Council that met in 49 AD. So somewhere probably between 45 and 48 AD, James wrote this book. And if that is true, and most scholars will tell you and believe that is true, here's what that means. That dates this book to be the earliest book in the entire New Testament. Before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Hebrew, all these, Paul, that wrote, this is the earliest book. What's so significant about that? Here's what's significant about it. That means that this was the closest book we have to after Jesus ascended to the Father. So what happened in those couple of decades right there when Jesus ascended and the Jerusalem church began to be built and the Jerusalem Christians and the Hebrew Christians began to grow in faith? This is one of the earliest documents that we have to the earliest church that we know that is fascinating. So like the Bible nerd in you go, oh goodness, this is really good because this is like the closest we have to when Jesus, right before he ascended. Now James, you'll realize this, he's not trying to convince you of these theological nuggets and all this stuff. He wants you to practically live out your faith. In fact, the whole theme of this is how do you know if I really am saved? Like how do I know, not really if I really am saved, how do I know I really have faith? We'll talk about that next week as we go into James chapter 2. How do I know I really have faith? If you're a Christian and you say you have faith, then you will show it by the fruit of your life. That's the main thing that James wants to communicate. And then he says from James, who's James? Oh my goodness, how can you pinpoint a James? There's like four James mentioned throughout the New Testament. 
Is this James, like Jesus' inner circle James? Is this another James? Who's James? Well, when you look at the word James, you realize that really in Greek, that's translated Hebrew means Jacob. His real name is Jacob, but they call him James. So we know that this guy's named Jacob, but who is James? Well, if you'll just connect the dots, and you can do this to like BibleGateway.com, uh, and you can click on James, and this is James, and it connects you to other verses where James is. It's fascinating. You don't have to have all these, all these books or scholarly stuff. No, no, no. Just very simple. You can click a button. You can find it. Who is James? Well, here's what we know. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus who writes this to us. And not only is he the half-brother of Jesus, he becomes the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Now, let me tell you something fascinating about James. We learn this as we read through the Gospels, and we learn this. Here's what we know about the half-brother of Jesus, James. See, some of you think you don't really connect with Jesus. Do you know that Jesus had a blended family? He had stepbrothers and stepsisters. James was one of them. And the Bible tells us that James did not even believe that Jesus was the Messiah to after the resurrection. He didn't become a believer. And somebody says, well, if I was a brother of Jesus or the sister of Jesus, I would believe. Really? Try to, get, try to convince your family that you're the Messiah. Imagine your brother come to you, I am the Messiah, serve me. Like, oh, come on. Right? You watch Jesus grow up, you realize that he was perfect every time his mom said, clean his room, he cleaned his room. Every time be home on time, he was home on time. Every time you clean your plate, he cleaned his plate. I can't stand Jesus, right? I mean, come on. This is the, now imagine, see, put yourself in this room. This is the half-brother of Jesus. So if you're the half-brother of Jesus, wouldn't this be a great opportunity to, like, drop his name? Like, wouldn't when you write this in James chapter 1, greetings from the half-brother of Jesus my brother. Right? But he doesn't. Look what he says. A servant. So somewhere from the ascension of Jesus after the resurrection, he believes in him that now he believes my half-brother, my brother, Jesus, is the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah. And over the next two decades, watch this, becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church, probably pastoring the Jerusalem church in just a couple decades. See how fascinating? So that's why this is so important. It's one of the earliest. And here's written from someone who didn't even believe in Jesus when he was alive until after he arose from the dead. And he saw that. Now he believes. You see, when you start putting these pieces together, now you understand the context of where Jesus comes. In fact, historians outside of the Bible who lived during this time wrote about James and said he had a nickname and they called him Camel Knees. You know why they called him Camel Knees? They said because he was always on his knees. He had calluses on his knees because he was on his knees praying all the time. Wow, what a turnaround. He is not the Messiah. Oh, snap. Yes, he is the Messiah, and I better serve him for the rest of my life. So somewhere between 45 and 48 A.D., the book is written, 49 A.D., the council, Jerusalem Council comes, and then in 62 A.D., James is killed. James dies a martyr's death. Some say it was stone. We can read that he was stoned. Some say it was another brutal way he died. At the end of the day, he died for believing that his half-brother was a Messiah who he did not believe until after the resurrection. What changed James' perspective? He saw Jesus perform all these miracles. He saw Jesus be obedient all the way to the law. What changed for him to become a pastor of the Jerusalem church, to pen these words, to write to, to the Jewish believers that apply to us today. What, what changed in him? Here's what changed. He saw Jesus after he got up out of the grave. And when you see somebody die and you see somebody get up out of the grave, I'm on his team. I'm going with him all day, every day. 
and he dies a martyr's death. And to a person he did not believe, now he did believe, was the Messiah. This is unbelievable if you start to study the context. But then he says this, he says, to the 12 tribes. Who's his audience to these Jewish believers? Now we know, right, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God changed his name to Israel. And from Israel had 12 sons, and they became the, tw- the 12 tribes of Israel, right? We know that on the Old Testament. All those descendants from the Jewish 12 tribes are now worshiping in the Jerusalem church. Well, what did Jesus say in Acts 1-8? I want the gospel to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Take the gospel to every people group on the planet. But guess what? Just like the early Christian church, a lot of churches today do, we just congregate one place. It's all about me. Let's just stay right here. So you know what God did? God allowed persecution to come to the Jerusalem church. Acts chapter 8. Remember the guy named Paul, the, uh, the uh, artist formerly known as Saul? You know what I'm talking about, right? And he comes and begins to kill Christians and persecute Christians and arrest Christians in, the, in Jerusalem. And what happens? Boom, they scatter. They all leave. They lose their jobs. They lose their families. Some of them lose their life. Now we understand James is writing to the church that has been scattered, to all the 12 tribes that scattered out because of persecution, I'm writing to you. And I'm not writing to you to convince you of theological beliefs. I'm writing to you because as you're being persecuted, I want you to know here's how you practically live out your faith. So wherever you find yourself abroad, outside of the holy city, here is how you live your life. We've not even got to the first verse yet. And he writes to the 12 tribes. Now, this is what's so fascinating about this. From James chapter 2 to James chapter 5 is the body of the letter, right? I mean, you understand, like, there's an introduction, the body, and the, the body of the letter. Guess how many teachings are in the body of this letter? Twelve. There are 12 many sermons over the next four chapters. Now, he's like, oh, that's just coincidence. That's not coincidence. See, when you understand how Hebrew and Greek people have, they wrote, numbers are very important. Numbers are very important. Like, for instance, the number seven to the Bible means complete. It means wholeness. It means perfection. It says God rested on the what? Seventh day. Why? Because it was completed and he rested. That's a very, very important number. The number 40 is very important. For 40 days and 40 nights it rains. For for 40 days and for 40 nights Jesus was tempted. For 40 uh, years in the wilderness that they were tempted when the Israelites were there. Why? Because after 40, what is the significance of it is God is doing something new. God's about to bring something great after this 40 days that you go through. That's why we do 40 day studies a lot of time. Lent, 40 days. It's because there's something that's going to happen in 40 days that's going to be great. We see this through it. The number 10, the number 10 means testing. 10 plagues, remember Egypt. 10 commandments to test your heart. Tithing, the 10th. 10 is just a test. Tithe is just a test. God don't need your money. He's testing your heart. That's all that is. You don't get caught up about that. God's going to test you. The number one thing you're going to compete for your life is your money. I mean, when we just see the stock market drop $5 trillion, and some of you saw your 401k and all your investments and stuff go down, go down and down because of what's happening to the world, and now if you're all panicked about that, you see that? The reason why is because that become your idol. See, how do you know something's your idol? When something's taken away from you, how do you respond to it? See, your, your heart's attached to it. Jesus says, I'm just going to test you. You trust me. Trust me. I got this. Trust me. It's just a test. And we see this. He said, here's 12 tribes. I'm going to give you 12 mini teachings. 12 mini sermons. And you know what's fascinating? I didn't say this in the first sermon, but you know what's fascinating about it? You know where these teachings come from? The Sermon on the Mount. 
You can link all these teachings back to the Sermon on the Mount, which means this. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but boy, he sure listened to him. And he took notes because he's going to regurgitate parts of the Sermon on the Mount over the next four chapters. Fascinating. Unbelievable. So this is not coincidence. This is the Holy Spirit inspiring James to move as he writes to us today. And it applies to our lives today. And so when we keep reading, we see now here, I'm just going to walk you through the next the chapter, verses 2 and 4, James 1, 2 and 4, and walk you through this, how you can apply this and how this looks like in your life. So let's keep reading verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, yours must say, dear, dear brethren, when troubles, anybody ever had troubles? When troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. James says, when you face problems, you should consider an opportunity for great joy. Now, what problem are they facing? Go back to the audience. They're persecuted. It's the Jerusalem church. They've been scattered. The apostle Paul comes in, arresting Christians and murdering Christians and putting people in jail. And they're like, I'm out of here. Boom. And they scatter. Hey, you're going to face problems. And when you face problems, why don't you just consider it pure joy? I'm like, you don't get it, James. What are you talking about? Consider it pure joy. I'm not... I'm not joyful that I'm in a problem. And James would say, you don't have to be joyful for the problem, but you can be joyful in the problem. Big difference. Well, let's walk this out. So if we're taking notes, here's, what I want you, here's the first thing I want you to know about problems. Because all of us are going to face it. Watch this. Problems will happen. Problems will happen. Problems are coming your way. Problems will happen. Look what he says in verse 2. When... Troubles, not if, but when. When they come, Jesus says, in this world, you will have troubles. I don't like that verse. I don't want to hear about that verse. What is he saying? Problems are coming your way. Problems are inedible. They will happen. In fact, Peter writes, don't be surprised. See, some of us were so surprised when problems come. Don't be surprised when problems come your way. And let me tell you something about problems. No one's exempt. No one's exempt. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Problems are coming. It doesn't matter your skin color or your nationality. Problems are coming. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a good person and you've lived really good or if you're a hellion. Problems are coming. We know this, right? We say this all the time. I can't believe they're going through this. They're such a good person. It rains on the just and the unjust. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're a non-Christian. Problems will come. So that should not shock us as believers. That problems are inevitable and you will face problems. Don't miss that. Look at the word. When. When. Which means it will happen. Not if. You know, if you're lucky in this world and everything's good. No, no, no. When you come. Problems will you come. Problems will come. Your heart will be broken. Family will turn their back on you. Jobs won't work out. The things you thought didn't happen the way you thought. Problems will happen to you. So now that we know that, that they will come, and we kind of know that, but we kind of shut. They will come. Look what else it says. They come in many shapes and sizes. Problems come in many shapes and sizes. Well, how do you get that? Keep reading in verse 2. When... That lets me know if you just stop for a second, read your about when, okay, they're going to come. Troubles come. Watch this. Troubles of any kind. 
any kind. That word right there, yours may say various or varied or diverse, many multifaceted, many kinds. In fact, the Greek word, again, you don't have to know Greek. You can click on that word and right over here it says Greek literally, it means multicolored. It means multi multiple shades. Here's what he's saying. When problems come, they will come in different ways. They will come big problems, little problems, scary problems, not so much scary problems, problems you think you can get through, problems think you'll never think you can get through. James lets you know ahead of time, problems are coming your way, and they come in every different forms, every different multicolor, every different facet, all variety of different types of problems will come your way. But you know what's so amazing about it? That same Greek word, Peter uses it. And Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And here's what he says about God's grace. He uses that same word about God's grace, that God's grace is multicolored, that God's grace is variety, that God's grace is diverse. What does that even mean? Here's what that means. For every problem that you face in your life, God's grace is there to cover it. Do you see that connection? For every problem you have, God's grace is sufficient for that problem. Some of you worry about a problem that you don't even have yet. How would I even get through that? I don't even know how I would handle that. You know why you don't know? Because you haven't gone through it and God's grace hasn't covered you on that. Some people are like, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you have so much peace about it. This past Friday, uh, people go to our church. They were heading, uh, with a friend, they, he was going to, had back was hurting him and he didn't know it was wrong. He thought it was a kidney stone. Went to a kidney stone, had a spawn in his kidney. They went and tested the kidney. Next thing you know, long story short, he ends up having cancer in his kidney. Like, hey, we got to fix this. We'll take partially kidney. We're going to take all your kidney. How's this going to work? I call him at five o'clock on Friday morning on the way to the hospital. So let you know, believing in you, praying. I'm preaching on this this week. What do you do when troubles come your way? What do you do when you have problems in your life? Who do you turn to? He says, man, I'm at peace. I'm at trust and I'm at peace. How do you get that? I'm sitting there going, I'm be panicking, right? That's what we would say because we're not in that scenario. Why does he have peace? Because God's grace has covered him. See that? No matter what problems you face, God's grace is sufficient for your problem. And James wants you to know this. Problems will come. They will come big, they will come small, but guess what? God's grace will meet you at your problem. It will meet you right there, and it will take care of you. You just got to trust in his grace. You got to trust. Here's the third thing, recognize here in verse 2. Problems are unpredictable. Ever notice that? Problems are unpredictable. Now, walk through the verse with me. Watch this. When? They're coming. Not if. You have troubles of any kind, which means there are multiple facets, a variety of different problems. Everybody has different problems. Watch this. Come your way. You know what that Greek word literally means? It means to fall into unexpectedly. To unexpectedly fall into a problem. See, we, we seldom can anticipate problems. No one's going, you know, hey, next summer, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have a backache, and I think I have a backache. I think it's going to be a kidney stone. I'm going to go, it's not going to be a kidney stone. It's going to be cancer, and I'm going to prepare. Now they're going to take my kidney out next summer. No one prepares. No one goes, you know what, I'm, I'm predicting next year that my wife's going to fall out in love with me. She's not going to love me anymore. She's going to leave me, so I better do something about it now. Why is it a problem? Here's why it's a problem, because it catches you off guard. See, when problems come into your life, they catch you off guard. That's why it's a problem. And you know what the first thing that happens when we have problems come into our life? We call all of our friends and ask them to pray the problem out. Unless we really know what the problem is for. What is God wanting to do in that problem? 
What does God want to use about that problem in our life? Which leads me to the fourth thing that we see in this passage. Problems have a purpose. Did you know that? I know, I know, I know. I know the theological reason you're God's in control and everything works out good for God. They don't fix how I feel, right? James says, listen, watch this. To the 12 tribes, you've been persecuted. You've scattered. You left your home place, your families, your hometown. You probably have no job, no money because no one hired you because now you're outside Jerusalem and you're a Jew. People's wondering what's wrong with you. Listen, problems will come. They'll come in different ways. God's grace will cover that problem. And there is a purpose for your problem. There's a purpose that you're going to walk through this. Now look what he says in verse 2. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. When a problem comes, you get to consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'm not thankful for the problem, but I can be thankful and rejoice in the problem. That's the better life. The better life is not the absence of pain. The better life is not the absence of problems. The better life is that Jesus will walk through it with me in my problems. That makes my life better. And that's what James wants us to see. You're going to have problems, church. And they're going to come in little sizes and big sizes and huge sizes and tiny sizes. And and you're not going to know how to handle it. But guess what? God's grace will. It's coming your way. And you need to know this. There's a purpose for your problem. What's the purpose? What's the purpose? Look at verse 3. What's the purpose? For you know that when your faith is tested. Let's just stop right there. Let's just stop right there. Here's what we know. Problems test my faith. Now think about that. What imagine if you could stop for a minute going, man, God's just testing my faith. See that word test and trials and tribulation. And if you keep reading in James chapter one, you'll get to temptation. You know, all those words are basically the same. And how do I know if God's testing me or if God's tempting me? People say, well, God's just tempting me to see if I'll look at it again. God will never tempt you to do anything evil. Ever. Ever. God's just tempting me right now to see if I'm going to do that. No. God will never tempt you to do anything evil. Keep reading in James chapter 1. You're going to do that this week. You're going to find that out. God will test you. God will allow trials to happen. God will allow problems. God's not causing them, but God will allow them. Why? Because he wants to test your faith. I'm going to test your faith. You see, here's, here's what's so fascinating. The first time when something happens in our life, we have a problem, we call everybody and ask them to pray it out. I've got a cross i got to carry. Pray the cross away. Pray the problem away. What if we respond at first going, oh, okay, this is a problem. God's trying to test my faith here. And I'm going to choose by faith to put my faith in him instead of my worry into the world or my worry in my own hands. God, I'm going to trust you. I wonder how fast our problems would leave us if we first respond to God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Sorry, your job's not going to work out. You have a few days and you lose your job. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Hey, you know, I don't know if it's going to look the way that, I don't know how the doctor reports what God, I trust you. First response, God, I'm going to trust you. If you're testing my faith through this problem, I want to pass this test. God, I trust you. My faith is in you and you alone. I trust you. Imagine if we responded that way first. That's what James is saying. He's testing your faith. Trust him. That word testing actually means it's a picture of a silversmith who is, who's melting down silver and gold and they're, and they're heating it up to be tested. And what happens when you turn the heat up and the longer that it's on the heat, the more imperfections come to the top. 
That's the difference between like 24 karat, 18 karat. It's a purer gold. The pure, the gold has less imperfection, which means it was standing under the fire a lot longer. And all the imperfections come to the top. And the silversmith takes all the imperfections off the top to make the silver or the gold pure. It's what the picture is here. Do you know how they knew when the gold and silver was pure? They could see their reflection in the silver or in the gold. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God allows problems to come our way. So all the imperfections in our life will float to the top. We will deal with the imperfections. God will remove the imperfections, and he will see his reflection in us. Isn't that God's purpose to make us like Jesus? He's testing my faith. Here's the second thing. Problems produce patience in my life. We get very impatient, don't we? Problems produce patience. Look what he says in verse 3. Your endurance, maybe your translation says perseverance, it literally means to endure patiently. Endure patiently. And you endure, watch this, your endurance has a chance to grow. Why? Because I want to grow you. I want to grow your faith. I want to grow your patience. Trust me. That word literally means to be able to stay under pressure. Okay, God, no matter how long this problem, I'm going to trust you. I'm gonna, we're going to walk through this together. Because, God, you're going to use these problems to teach me how to handle the pressures in my life. I trust you. And then we see right here in verse 4, the third thing. Problems grow my character. You see the purpose now? You know why God allowed persecution to come to the church there in Jerusalem and y'all scattered out? Here's why. He's going to test your faith. Do you really believe in him? Because if you really say you believe in me, in James chapter 2, he begins to tell us, here's how you know you have real faith. Do you really believe? Be patient. I know you've lost your home place. I know you've lost jobs. I know you don't have this. Trust me, be patient. Be patient. Why? Because God wants to grow your character. Why? Because God wants to make you more like Jesus. If God did not spare his own son from problems, why in the world would you think he would spare us from problems? They're coming. I hate to bring you the barrier of bad news. Jesus already told us this. You will have trouble. You will have problems. But now that we have a perspective of understanding how God wants to use these problems in our life, he says in verse 4, so what? So let it grow. When your patience and your perseverance and your endurance is fully developed, watch this, you will be, it's all about what God wants to do in you, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know what's fascinating? He uses that same word for perfect and complete through this chapter seven times through this book seven times you know why it's not there by mistake seven is whole he says listen church you've been fractured but God wants to make you whole God wants to make you perfect not sinless you'll never be sinless you'll never be sinless God wants to make you blameless he wants to make you whole he wants to make you complete he wants to make you more and more like Jesus Folks, that's just through the first four verses. And it's already applying to our life because we all have problems. But here's what some of you may say. I just can't see it. I can't see it. My problem is now turning to worry and anxiety and depression and all my negative emotions block me for seeing how God wants to do something good through this because I can't see it. Not that the problem is good. God is good. You keep reading James chapter 1. It says all good things will come 
from a good God. I just can't see the goodness in this. I just can't see how this is going to work out. I have fear. I have anxiety. I have worry. I have doubt. I have, I have depression because of my problems. Well, that's what I love about the next verse. We're not going to go through it. We don't have time. Y'all are hungry. What does he say in verse 5? I'm going to leave it right here for you to keep reading. He says, therefore, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. What is wisdom? Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing your problem from God's perspective. And when you begin to see your problems through God's perspective in your life, it, it's a game changer. That's why Solomon, he did. He'd get any wish he want, basically. I'll answer any, I'll, I'll give you anything you want, Solomon. What do you want? What does he ask? Not for gold and riches and glory. Give me wisdom. Help me see the world through your perspective. And we have some of the wisest writings in Proverbs and as we sing all through from someone who is wise, seen it life through God's perspective. You get wisdom. And that's where you will pick up in chapter 1, verse 5. When you begin to read, as you read this chapter, I set the background for you in the context. As you go through it, I'm going to trust that the Lord will speak to your heart and your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. You know, I'm just going to trust and believe that the Lord has used this to speak to you. For some of you, I hope he encouraged you to realize, oh my goodness, I can really, really read my Bible. I can do this. I've got a plan. It's very small. It's easy to go through. I'm going to do it with someone around me, a friend or a co-worker or my spouse or my family, my kid, my son. I'm going to grab my son. We're going to go through this together. Listen, you can do this. And I pray that the Lord inspired you to realize, I can do this. I can do this. For some of you, you're facing a problem. You can call it a trial. You can call it troubles. You can call it tribulation. You can call it a test. But you're facing it. And my question to you is, what are you going to do with what you've learned today? How will you apply? We just soaked. Y'all see that? We had a scripture. We looked at some observations. But here's the kicker. How are you going to apply it? No matter how big your problem is, no matter how small your problem is, you can apply that. The half-brother of Jesus who wasn't even a believer till after the resurrection pouring out practical wisdom for you today written at 45 48 AD and it still applies today why because that's God's word it's living and it's active in our lives how are you going to respond to your problems or maybe your response this morning is you're going to respond like James did. That you are now going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the one. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. See, it's so easy to look on this side of the Bible and go, oh, okay, you know, could you imagine James? He believed in Jesus so much that he died a martyr's death. 
Someone would die for a lie, but the truth, because he saw Jesus. And my prayer is that you see Jesus for who he is. And if that's you, both of our locations, whether you're watching online as well, you can give your life to him today. You can be saved the same way James was saved, by faith, through grace. That right now you can confess your sins and put your faith and trust in him. In fact, I will lead you in a prayer. Now, saying a prayer is not what saves you, but your lips can proclaim what your heart declares. And right now you can say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today, as best as I know how, I repent of my sin and I give my life to you. Now, both of our locations, here's what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe several of you right now, you prayed that. You've prayed that. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When I begin to pray, if you prayed that with me, here's what I'm asking you. If you'll grab your things when I begin to pray, and if you'll just begin to make your way towards the back, we have team members there, and go to the next step area. And this is why. One, we have some resources we want to give you. Two, we want you to beat the crowd out so you can get on out there. But listen to me. Listen to me. Our mission is to help you take next steps and follow Jesus so you can experience an abundant life, a full life, a better life than you've ever dreamed of. We can't help you take a next step unless you let us know you're taking a step. Let us know. It's not to embarrass you. We want to help you so you can grow in your faith and your walk with Jesus. So if that's you and you prayed with me and you're ready to take that next step and show the world, when I begin to pray, I'm going to ask you just to grab your things. Take your friend with you if you need to. Let him go with you. Just walk on out. Head on out to the next step area. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you how relevant. Father, we thank you for James. We thank you, Lord, that he was the half-brother of our Messiah, that through his pain and trials and trouble, that not even believe until after the resurrection still applies to our life. God, even though the context is written to the, written to the Jewish persecuted believers, your word is so living and active and it applies to our life today. God, we all have problems. We will all face problems. They will come. But I'm so thankful that we don't have to face them alone. I'm so thankful that you are with us in our pain, in our problems, in our troubles, in our trials, in our tribulation. You are with us. And we trust you because we know at the end of the day, you're making us more like your son. So, Father, I can't wait to see what you're going to do through this week as we study the Word together. I can't wait to see what you're going to do through this series as we jump into this Word and learn more about how to live out our faith in such a faithless world. We love you, Jesus. In your name we ask and we pray. And everybody said. Thanks for joining us at Better Life Church. If you'd love to discover more about how you can take your next step with Christ, We'd love for you to visit betterlife.church slash next steps. There you will find help and resources for whatever step God has for you. If you enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to subscribe and be part of our community. You can also join us live on Sundays or find more resources at betterlife.church. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.